you know, to echo something Chris said there regarding the offering, because it also connects to our lesson. Uh, I was in class at Memphis School of Preaching. One of my instructors asked one of the students to hand him his Bible, or excuse me, hand him his wallet. And he reached in his pocket, took his wallet out to hand it to him. And he said, that's not your wallet. And of course, it was all about a lesson teaching him that the wallet belongs to God. The money is God's. He's given it to us as a tool, right? Just as our lives are tools that God has given us, opportunities God has given to us, but they belong to him and we've given them to him whenever we've obeyed the gospel and we've said we will live our lives in his service. You know, I want you to think of Edom in the book of Obadiah. Edom was a people that had lost their way. Edom was a people that did not trust in God. Edom was a people that did not look to God as their giver of every good and perfect gift. In fact, Edom trusted in self. You'll remember from Obadiah, oh, well, Obadiah 1 verses 3 and 4, you remember how he says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Edom had gotten to the point that she trusted only in herself. We're going to spend our whole lesson talking about Edom and the lesson for, or the message from Obadiah to Edom, from God to Edom. But I want us to take a few moments and go to the book of Proverbs and develop some of these principles in our mind or fully remind ourselves of some of these principles that we need to understand whenever we're looking at Obadiah. So for, his, for starters, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and following. He says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And Proverbs 8, 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, looking at a couple of other places outside of Proverbs. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And then the words of Jesus himself, Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So hopefully what we started to notice here is some relationships between principles that were mentioned here. Let's go back and kind of pull a few of those out as we look at that. Chapter 3, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes Fear the Lord, depart from evil. I want you to notice trust, wise, and fear. When we trust in God, 
We're not wise in our own eyes. We look for his wisdom. When we trust in God, we don't fear others. We don't let that determine what we do, but we fear God and keep his commandments. So trust is connected to wisdom and trust is connected to fear. You can't separate them, in fact. In fact, if one of them is out of whack, if you will, the other one will be too. If your trust is not in the right place, then it's the fact that you are fearing something or concerned or worried about something that's not the right thing. And it's following some form of, quote, wisdom that's not the right thing. Moving on, when we do that, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When we don't trust in God, we're, we're being proud. We're trusting in self ultimately. Even if we're saying we're trusting somewhere else, we ourselves are the ones that have made that decision to trust something else. So we're allowing pride to get in the way and that's what Edom, of course, had done. Think about how the how the Proverbs writer says it in 14.12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So even the way we live, the way we choose to act, the way we, what we follow, it can seem right to man, it can seem right to us, it can seem, quote, wise, but if it's not the Lord, it's not the right way. If it's not his way, it's not the right way. And then, of course, the final proverb that we looked at there, verse chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord. So there's our fear. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. So fearing God causes us to hate pride to put it away from ourselves. So again, all these things are connected. Whenever I'm trusting in God, I recognize His wisdom. Then I'm, I'm removing pride from myself. I'm emptying myself, not being self-centered. I'm focusing on that and loving and following His way. Because again, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Well, if I'm hating evil, it's because I'm loving good. And that's what we're called upon by God to do is to keep his commandments. But this is the whole of man. And as Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. So the bottom line is this pride trusts in self. And it, in fact, loves self, quote unquote, it knows better because, and it becomes more and more self-centered as it goes along. When I say it knows better, in other words, it doesn't need God telling him what to do. Whereas on the other hand, humility, it trusts in God, it loves God, it, it listens to God, it becomes selfless, it seeks God's way, the true way of wisdom. So our our endeavor this morning is to take a look at Obadiah and learn from Edom's bad example because Edom destroyed herself with her pride. Going back to chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, 
whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Go down to verses seven and following. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Edom's pride put her trust in the wrong place. She trusted, in fact, in all of the wrong places, and God was very clear to say there is no help in any of the places where you're seeking to place your trust. She couldn't trust in her rocky, high home. She couldn't trust in her allies, her the men of her confederacy. She couldn't trust in her wise men, verse 8. She couldn't trust in her own mighty men, verse 9. There was no place for her to place her trust except in God. And that's in fact where she placed her trust was all the wrong places. Again, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Her pride had deceived her. We can be deceived, as you and I both well know. We can even deceive ourselves. I want you to take a look in Daniel 5, just for a, a look at a word momentarily here. You remember in Daniel 5, you remember the handwriting on the wall? Many, many tickle you farson. This is that context. So in Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, <clears throat> So you remember the context, Nebuchadnezzar's son had come to the throne and he was completely different than what Nebuchadnezzar had become later in his life. Because you remember Nebuchadnezzar had given glory to God after he had acted like a beast for years and came to his senses, if you will. And so Babylon is on the brink of destruction. Medo-Persia is going to take over, and now Babylon is on the brink of destruction. And in Daniel 5, verse 20, well, let's back up to verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would, whom he, would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. So Daniel is reminding Nebuchadnezzar's son of Nebuchadnezzar's pride and that he was deposed from being king. He was removed from being king. You remember there was the vision of the great tree and it was cut down and the band was put around it. And that's the vision that was telling how Nebuchadnezzar would be wandering in the pasture field as an animal 
until he recognize that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he please. But I want us to notice this phrase here, his mind hardened in pride. Notice what pride does. It hardens our minds. In other words, our hearts. We've heard about hard hearts forever, for as long as we can remember. Well, pride is an element of what hardens our hearts. Makes us so we don't want to listen to God. Makes us so we don't want to listen to someone telling us what's right. Makes us so that I know the right way. I don't need you to tell me the right way. It hardens our minds. Edom's pride it was based on her misplaced trust. She trusted in all the wrong places and she was deceived. Her heart was hardened. Think about others that have put their trust in the wrong places. Eve placed her trust in the serpent and took of the fruit. Genesis 3 verse 6. Cain trusted in his own self-willed offering. Genesis 4 and made the wrong offering. Israel trusted in the ten spies, Numbers 11 to 14, and wound up wandering and dying in the wilderness for 40 years. Hebrews 3, 17 and 19. But with whom was he grieved? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's just it. Trust is connected to our belief. We either believe God and follow him or we do not. Edom was unwilling to trust in God. Edom trusted in herself. She trusted in her allies. She trusted in her home. She trusted in everything else but God. And she was going to suffer for it. Where's our trust? People might say, well, these are troubling times. And I don't disagree with that statement in a sense. But where's our trust? Is our trust in the government? I hope not. Is our trust in certain political leaders? I hope not. Is our trust in the dollar, the economy, the things we have? I hope not. Those come and go. Those are fleeting. Those aren't God's place. Uh, those aren't God's way of how we should place our trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. I want you to take a look at 1 Corinthians 1 here as we think about our trust being in the gospel. We think about our trust being in God. You remember how in 1 Corinthians, <coughs> Corinth was a, a church riddled with problems. In fact, some have said that the, the, the letter to the Corinthians is a letter about church problems. Well, that's a good summary of the book of 1 Corinthians. Their whole problem was they were entirely divided, chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. What do they need to speak? And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. They were... They were fractured into pieces amongst them, amongst different houses and groups, and I'm of them, and I'm of them, and I'm of this individual, and they were broken off and splintered. They weren't trusting in God and the gospel. They were comparing things with one another. But notice what he says, chapter 1, 
verse 18. After in verse 17, he said that he wasn't, Christ sent me not to baptize. In other words, they had made a big deal about who had baptized them. He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. In other words, I wasn't speaking of man's wisdom to you when I preached the gospel. It's God's wisdom. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Some people look at the gospel and they think, what utter foolishness? Why are you considering that? Why are you following that? That's just rot. But then those who have truly considered the ways of the gospel and know that there is a God in heaven, look at it and see the beautiful teaching of the, of the Lord and of the God of heaven. Take a look at verse 26 in that chapter. Paul reminds them, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men, not many after the flesh, notice, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In other words, he's telling them, look, there aren't many among your ranks who would consider themselves wise after the flesh or strong and they, and they trust in their strength or their affluence or their power or their nobility or their, their money, whatever it is. There aren't many among you that are like that. Why? There aren't many among you that are of those who would consider themselves noble because usually they have a hard time trusting in the right thing. Usually they have a hard time trusting in the right thing. Notice that those same things line up exactly with what Edom was trusting in. In first century Corinth, Paul is warning them of saying, look, you know why you don't have many among you from these groups? Because those groups trust in those things. It takes the exception to the rule. It takes someone who may be of noble birth to see that they truly are required to submit to God and that they want to submit to God. It takes them seeing that. It takes them being able to humble themselves. It takes them not being proud. It takes them recognizing God's wisdom and not man's wisdom. And so, where's our trust? It needs to be in the gospel of Christ. Because notice how he goes on there in verse 19. After saying that, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, he says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish? The wisdom of this world. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Again, remember that's man's wisdom, worldly wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, foolishness. In other words, your message is ridiculous. I don't want to hear it. Don't come to me with this message about this man that died and he's saving you. And It's foolishness to them. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God 
is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. We know God has no foolishness and he has no weakness. But even if God were to have foolishness or weakness, it would be stronger than man's greatest strength or greatest wisdom. And notice how in verse 24 it said, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, the message that came through Christ, the, the scheme of redemption that was accomplished in Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, <coughs> not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Notice the purpose in verse 29. <coughs> Excuse me. That no flesh should glory <clears throat> in his presence. Verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Notice this. This is what Jesus is. This is what God made available to us in the gospel. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth. Look, if you have anywhere to glory, this is the only place you can place that glory. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Was Were the Edomites glorying in the Lord? No. They gloried in their home. They gloried in their, in their allies they gloried in their strong men they gloried in their wise men and god was quick to say you're not going to be able to deliver yourself by any of them a couple of other thoughts i want to leave with us about edom's misplaced priorities her pride led her to hate others she didn't love as she should have in fact if you look back at obadiah verses 10 through 14 you see how she mistreated her brother she stole from him she hurt she even attacked Israel and even cut Israel off as they were fleeing from an adversary. She stopped their flee, their, their being able to flee from the enemy and helped deliver them to the enemy. And they are rebuked for that. When our trust is in the wrong place, when our when we are proud and and our pride is built up. We aren't loving the right things. We're loving self. We're becoming self-centered. Think about, again, some of the examples from earlier. Eve's love of being wise, Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. When Cain saw that Abel had offered a proper sacrifice and that his was rejected, he hated it and he killed his brother. That's not love in action. That's self-centeredness in action. That's hatefulness in action. What about the Pharisees' despisal of the publican? Luke 18, 9 to 14. 
Think about how that starts off. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Notice the trust. Notice the placement. Trusted in themselves that they were righteousness, but despised others. So I'm going to ask you and me, what do we do? We love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Loving God means keeping his commandments, John 14, 15, and not loving the world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, lo the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What do we love the most? You know, another thing about Edom's sin, her pride, her arrogance, her trust in the wrong things, it's leading to her judgment. And these few thoughts I'll leave with you as kind of our final few thoughts here. In Obadiah 5 and 6, notice this. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? They not have stolen till they had enough. If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? In other words, if you had been robbed at night, there would have been something left. If the pickers had come to get the grapes, to glean the grapes, there would have been some grapes left. The verse 6, how are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? In other words, there's not going to be anything left. This judgment is going to be comprehensive. It's going to be complete. The robbers would have been more merciful. The gleaners would have left a few. God says, I'm not leaving anything. Think about the final judgment. John 5, 28 and 25, 5, 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. See, 2 Thessalonians 1.6-9, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That judgment was going to be complete, just like the final judgment will be complete. Their judgment was on its way. In verse 15 of Obadiah, he says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Their judgment was coming, and so was ours. Second Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. We don't know when he's going to come, but he's coming. And they were going to reap as they had sown. You and I are going to reap as we've sown. Remember how Paul, as he was concluding the book of Galatians, chapter 6 there, 
He told them, beginning in verse 7, he says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Notice that deception there mentioned. Be not deceived. That's what Edom was. They were deceived by their pride. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Edom placed her trust in all the wrong things. She had been deceived by her pride. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rocks. Obadiah 3. You and I know we've got to place our trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If you've never put your trust in God and obeyed the gospel of Christ, the plan and method he's given for our salvation, why not this morning? If you've done that and if you've fallen away, placing your trust somewhere else, why not repent of that and come back? If we can help you, please come while we stand and while we sing.